Welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Lindsay Devon. I am Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. I also serve as Editor-in-Chief of Pharmacotherapy, an official journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. Today we are talking with Dr. Renee Dejeuner about her review of therapeutics published with co-author Peter Zed in Pharmacotherapy titled Intranasal Lidocaine for Acute Management of Primary Headaches, a Systematic Review. Dr. Dejeuner is a recent graduate from the Graduate Doctor of Pharmacy program at the University of British Columbia and is currently practicing as a clinical pharmacy specialist at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver. I'm so glad you could join me today. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Devon. I really appreciate the invitation and opportunity to be a part of today's podcast. You reviewed the literature on the use of lidocaine administered by the intranasal route of administration for management of headaches. Before we discuss your findings, Could you provide our listeners with a brief summary of types of headache discussed in your review and perhaps their prevalence so we can understand the significance of this health issue? Yes. In our review, we focused on acute management of primary headache disorders. Unlike secondary headaches, primary headaches do not have an identifiable cause. The three major classification of these headaches are migraine headaches, tension type, and trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias. Primary headache disorders are not uncommon overall. In fact, the Global Burden of Diseases Study 2015 reported tension type and migraine headaches to be the first and second most prevalent neurological disorders respectively. The prevalence per 100,000 individuals is estimated to be around 20,000 for tension type headaches and 13,000 for migraines. Trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias are less common, For example, cluster headaches, which are the most common type, have an estimated prevalence of 124 per 100,000 individuals. These are important numbers to consider, as headaches can cause significant disability in affected individuals and contribute to significant healthcare-associated costs, such as with primary care or emergency department visits and even hospital admissions. Dr. Dejeuner, thank you for that background. I, I think that puts this um, health care issue uh, into a good perspective for our, our audience. So uh, let me ask you, uh, what are the established medications for use in patients with primary headaches, and are they adequate in regard to efficacy and tolerability for most patients with this problem? What, what I'd like our audience to understand Um, is the need for conducting clinical trials of new drugs or perhaps even repurposing old drugs like lidocaine uh, with these patients? Yeah, that's a great question and one that isn't uh, short doesn't have a short answer to. Uh, The treatment approach to primary headaches varies by headache type and may also vary widely between patients based on medication response or safety concerns that preclude the use of certain alternatives. So even though this isn't an exhaustive list, um, the following can be considered in patients with acute primary headaches. So first are simple analgesics, such as acetaminophen, aspirin, ibuprofen, or naproxen. These are mainstay for tension-type headaches and are considered first-line for mild or moderate migraine headaches. 
These medications are generally well tolerated, um, but acetaminophen may be more so based on the known adverse effect profile and contraindications associated with aspirin and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And importantly, when these are used more than 15 days per month, these medications can increase the risk of medication overuse headaches. Next are triptans, which act to dampen down processes underlying neurogenic inflammation and associated pain in migraine and cluster headaches. They may also relieve symptoms such as nausea, vomiting, and photophonophobia associated with migraine headaches. For migraines, they're generally recommended first-line for moderate to severe attacks or as rescue therapy in those who don't respond to simple analgesics, but patients may require a trial of several triptans before finding one that they respond to. For cluster headaches, though there's subcutaneous sumatriptan and intranasal zolmatriptan as established recommendations, along with 100% oxygen, options are really limited otherwise in patients who don't respond. Triptans aren't always well tolerated by patients and do have important contraindications, including history of cardiac disease or stroke. They also increase the risk of medication overuse headaches if used over 10 days per month. Oral antiemetics such as metoclopramide or domperidone can be used as adjunct therapy to simple analgesics and triptans, particularly in patients with significant nausea or vomiting. But in migraine headaches that are refractory to the aforementioned medications, alternatives that are more invasive, carry higher risk of adverse events, or may not have as strong of an evidence base may have to be considered. These can include parenteral catorolac or dopamine antagonists, parenteral or intranasal dihydroergotamine, parenteral dexamethasone, or as a last resort, opioids. Bringing it back to the original question, it is cases where patients have exhausted or are unable to take the first-line or preferred medications that has prompted the need for clinical trials for new or pre-existing medications. In guidelines for acute migraine or cluster headaches, intranasal lidocaine has been listed as an alternative that's possibly effective. Despite the recommendation only being weak or level C, intranasal lidocaine is an attractive alternative to consider given its localized effect and non-invasive route of administration. Thank you. Um, lidocaine uh, was the focus of your review, and, and I'd like to ask you uh, one more um, background question. Lidocaine is an old drug that has been in use as an anesthetic for decades. Would you help us understand why it came to be considered in the management of headaches? Uh, perhaps some brief comments about its pharmacology would help our audience. For sure. Um, the, the investigation of intranasal lidocaine for headaches is actually not new. Interestingly, intranasal lidocaine was initially studied in this context as an alternative to cocaine for the treatment of cluster headaches. The earliest study of intranasal lidocaine for this indication that we were able to, to identify was published in 1985. Prior to this, cocaine had demonstrated potential benefit in treating cluster headaches, with one of the suggested mechanisms being its local anesthetic effect secondary to sodium channel blockade. However, there are obvious concerns with the use of routine cocaine due to its high addictive potential. Given that lidocaine is also a sodium channel blocker but does not share cocaine's risk for abuse, it was an attractive alternative. Later consideration of lidocaine for migraine headaches stems from potential overlap in the pathophysiology with cluster headaches. As a sodium channel blocker in local anesthetic, the proposed mechanism of internasal lidocaine in the management of headaches is through blockade of what's called the sphenopalatine ganglion. The sphenopalatine ganglion is a parasympathetic ganglion that lies behind a thin layer of mucosa in the posterior medial aspect of the nasal cavity. 
Activation of this ganglion has been shown to trigger the cascade of cerebral and dural vasodilation, which in turn leads to the neurogenic inflammation and trigeminal nociceptor activation involved in migraines and trigeminal and autonomic cephalalgias. Autonomic features typical of trigeminal autonomic cephalalgias, such as lacrimation, rhinorrhea, and ptosis, have also been attributed to activation of the sphenopalatine ganglion. Therefore, blockade with lidocaine may be considered a targeted strategy for these primary headaches. Let's now talk about your specific publication. You conducted a systematic review as opposed to what is referred to as a narrative or more of an essay type of review. I also noticed that your publication had a a specific registration attached to it. Could you provide our audience with a description of how you conducted your literature review? Yes. Um, Dr. Zed and I had a goal of providing an evidence-based summary of the available literature regarding intranasal lidocaine for primary headache management. For this, a systematic review is preferable over a narrative review as the methodology is more comprehensive, rigorous, and by virtue of the name, more systematic. Before embarking on the project, we looked into whether systematic reviews on the topic had already been published or were underway. One of the resources we looked at for this was Prospero, which is an international database where authors can register their systematic reviews, documenting each step from inception to completion. When we didn't identify any reviews on this topic, we decided to register with Prospero. This is the registration number that you identified in our manuscript. Our motivation to register was not only to prevent potential duplication of work by other authors, but also to improve transparency and allow readers to review our a priori protocol. We employed a robust search strategy. First, we searched Medline, Embase, Sinal, and the Cochrane Central Register of Controlled Trials online databases from their inception to May 2018. Our search terms in Boolean utilized in Medline and Embase are included in Appendix 1 of our manuscript, but in brief, searching the databases, we combined search terms related to primary headache subtypes, lidocaine, and the intranasal route of administration. We also manually searched the references of relevant articles to identify additional sources and reviewed clinicaltrials.gov for gray literature. From this, we had a broad yet focused list of records to systematically screen and review against our pre-specified inclusion-exclusion criteria. Thank you. Um, I think that the the core results of your um, systematic review um, are a detailed summary of the characteristics and results of several clinical trials. Would you summarize the findings related to efficacy in these trials? Yes, and I'll I'll quickly also provide an overview of the included studies. There was a total of six that fulfilled our inclusion criteria. Four of the studies enrolled only patients with migraine headaches, one enrolled patients with migraine tension type or cluster headaches, and one enrolled patients with either secondary headaches or migraine or tension type headaches. For the outcome of the change in pain score from baseline, It was only in the four studies deemed to be of poor quality that intranasal lidocaine demonstrated a benefit over placebo. In the two studies deemed to be of fair quality, lidocaine was no better than placebo. For the four studies reporting benefit, the difference in pain scores was statistically significant as early as one minute post-dose and remained significant to the end of the 15 to 30 minute follow-up period with repeated pain scores. Whether or not the statistically significant differences were clinically significant is unclear and depends on the definition of the minimal clinically important difference, or MCID, that one would decide to use. Only three studies reported on changes in additional migraine symptomology. 
Two low-quality studies reported lidocaine to, be significant, to significantly decrease nausea and vomiting, as well as photo and phonophobia when compared to placebo. And one fair-quality study indicated that there was no difference in these symptoms. In terms of the impact on need for rescue medication, in two of the studies that were deemed low-quality, lidocaine was associated with a significant decrease in the short-term need for rescue medications, but did not appear to have a difference in the 24 hours following discharge from urgent care. As well, in two studies that were deemed to be of fair quality, there was no difference in the need for rescue medications. There was no reported difference between intranasal lidocaine and placebo for the outcomes of headache recurrence or visits, re repeated visits to the emergency department. The question of whether or not there's a preferred dosing strategy or whether the efficacy of intranasal lidocaine was impacted by the primary headache subtype could not be answered by the included studies. Efficacy is just one uh, component of the use of uh, drugs in uh, treating headache. So um, could you tell the audience uh, what you learned from your review about the adverse event profile of uh, lidocaine reported in these uh, studies? Yes. So not unexpectedly, the adverse event rates were higher in patients receiving intranasal lidocaine compared to placebo. The adverse effects that were primarily described were localized irritation, stinging, burning in the nose or around the eyes, numbing of the throat, a sense of gagging, and an unpleasant taste. Less frequent events included dizziness, productive cough, sinus pain and congestion, as well as self-resolving palpitations. Also of note in the two studies that evaluated patients' perception of assigned treatment, in those who received intranasal lidocaine, fewer agreed that they would use the same treatment as an outpatient, and fewer reported satisfaction with treatment. Though these did not achieve statistical significance, the absolute difference was over 20% for both outcomes. I think you mentioned something about four trials earlier. From your review of the clinical trial literature, uh, what can you conclude about the adequacy of the database to support the use of lidocaine in patients with headache? Uh, I'm, I'm really asking, do you believe the existing data support uh, further clinical trials or are the existing data uh, sufficient? Well, after critically appraising the literature identified through our search, I don't believe that the current evidence supports the use of intranasal lidocaine for the treatment of primary headaches. If considering migraines, which comprise the majority of the data included in our systematic review, as mentioned, it was only in four of the studies um, out of the six, all of which were deemed poor quality, that lidocaine demonstrated benefit over placebo, but the two fair quality studies did not demonstrate a benefit. As well, formal pain scores were generally only conducted for up to 15 to 30 minutes after administration of the study intervention. Therefore, it can't be determined whether intranasal lidocaine is effective in achieving the hard outcome of pain-free for more than two hours, which has been established for migraine headaches by the International Headache Society. Also important to note is that all but one of the five studies that were conducted in the emergency or urgent care settings excluded patients who had taken analgesics in the two to six hours prior to study enrollment. This precludes generalization of the results to patients who have exhausted the first-line medication options. If further clinical trials were to be conducted in patients with migraine headaches, I think that the methodology should aim to address these limitations. For tension-type headaches, though included in two of the studies of this review, the heterogeneity in limited size of the samples, as well as pooling of data with other headache subtypes, really prevent its interpretation. 
From a pathophysiological perspective, given that tension type headaches are thought to be more of muscular origin as opposed to neurovascular, it could be reasonable to surmise that lidocaine may have limited benefit for their treatment. When it comes to cluster headaches, conclusions can't be drawn based on the one subgroup um, included in one of the trials this, in this review. However, I do believe that it would be warranted to conduct for further clinical trials in this population. Cluster headaches escalate quickly and tend to be brief and spontaneously resolving. I think that this would lend itself well to intranasal lidocaine having a potential to provide a rapid and short-acting relief in this difficult-to-treat population. There are two comparative studies suggesting intranasal lidocaine may be of benefit for cluster headaches. One was versus cocaine or in the use of cocaine and lidocaine together, and one was versus cocaine and placebo. However, there are significant limitations and methodological flaws that we've detailed in our manuscript that really preclude their utility. The efficacy of intranasal lidocaine for cluster headaches therefore should be compared in clinical studies with a more robust methodology with an active or placebo comparator. Thank you. From everything you've said so far, and especially thinking about the prevalence of headaches and the various different types of um, headaches, my intuition is that there will continue to be interest in intranasal lidocaine as a treatment for headache. So let me ask you about the feasibility of this therapy. Do you see intranasal lidocaine as a treatment primarily for use in the emergency department, or could be you, or could it be used by patients um, in their home setting, for example? Um, I think if lidocaine were to be utilized for headache management, I don't believe its use would need to be confined to the emergency department setting. For one of the randomized trials included in the systematic review, and for a few non-comparative studies, patients were actually provided with the study medication and instructed on how to self-administer it as an outpatient. One of the authors of the study, one of the studies, did comment that administration of intranasal lidocaine may be difficult for some patients, um, particularly if they're having a severe attack. However, I think that intranasal lidocaine could be feasible for patients to self-administer at home if they were to receive in-depth counseling and education on how to do so. And also, it would be prudent to initially observe patients' administration technique to ensure it's appropriate. You've brought up a good point about um, use of this um, drug at home. Um, so since we're talking about the intranasal route of administration, are there commercial products available for prescribing or is extemporaneous compounding required for home use? I think it's a great question, especially um, when considering uh, feasibility. In the studies of intranasal lidocaine, um, it was either administered as drops or via a sprayer pump device. For the drops, from what I could see, the studies typically describe using 4% lidocaine solution. And this is a commercially available product that wouldn't require extemporaneous compounding. Similarly, metered dose spray and aerosol devices are commercially available. And from the majority of devices I've come across, they're reported to deliver about 10 milligrams of lidocaine per actuation. Of course, if patients did require a specific dose or formulation that can't be obtained with the commercially available products, then I think that extemporaneous compounding could be considered as well. Uh, thank you. You've provided our audience with some um, very good information today about uh, intranasal lidocaine for headaches. And so let me just give you an opportunity um, to say if there are any uh, final comments or recommendations that you would make to either uh, people in the audience who might be interested for their own use or 
for recommending to their patients or for prescribers about the potential value of intranasal lidocaine? I think there could definitely um, be many ways to go about addressing the questions if it came up and would depend on the context that you'd suggested as well. Um, if a question were to arise in practice, whether it's general or pertaining to a specific patient, I'd recommend taking the opportunity to open a dialogue and, and really find out what the individual's understanding is of the available evidence for lidocaine for this indication. I think it's really important to always keep an open mind and, and appreciate others' thought processes and perspectives. The overall findings and limitations of available literature that have been reported in this systematic review could provide a basis for this discussion. Specifically, I'd recommend highlighting that based on the currently available evidence, intranasal lidocaine is unlikely to provide a clinically significant relief of headache pain or prevent additional outcomes such as need for rescue medication, headache recurrence, or repeat emergency department visits when compared to placebo. However, it may instead be associated with increased adverse effects and lower rates of patient satisfaction. Dr. Dechenet and Dr. Zed's review of therapeutics can be found online through the pharmacotherapy website. We certainly appreciate Dr. Dechenet joining us today and providing insight uh, from her review of this alternative therapy um, for headaches. It is a current uh, state-of-the-art review and we hope that the audience will um, appreciate the comments of Dr. Dejeuner today and follow up and read her entire article. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another ACCP podcast episode. Our theme music is called Rocket Power and is licensed by Creative Commons. Please take a moment to recommend this podcast and subscribe via iTunes so that you'll get notified of when our next episode will be released.